Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Ryan, we are the most technologically advanced society in history. Mm. And yet, we've never been more anxious, medicated, and lonely. As today's guest says, we have a thousand Facebook friends but no one to help us move our couch. Mm. Today on the public podcast, we're talking about the loneliness epidemic with Dr. John Deloney. John, yeah. thanks for being here, brother. What's up, everybody? What's up, man? Thanks for being here, man. This is, uh, yeah, you're doing awesome work. I can't wait to dive into it. Yes, Thank indeed. You. We got a lot to dive into. This Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, John and Ryan and I, we're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about the bricks in your backpack. We're going to talk about thought terminating cliches. Mm. We talked about a lot on that Maximal episode. You can check that out this Thursday. Patreon.com slash The Minimalists. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Alabama, we got a question here from Patreon. Uh, Maria has a question for us. How can you tell if you're feeling lonely? I enjoy spending time with people, but I used to be very codependent and I worry about falling back into old habits. John, can you break down some of these words? Codependent, what does that mean? Also, how do we recognize loneliness? Because sometimes we've been told that we're lonely even if mm, we're not. Yeah. Mm. So I think codependency is is when my needs are met by meeting your needs and your needs are endless and you get to dictate what those needs are and my life my my purpose my meaning in the world is made complete only when i can shove all of the things i need and believe down just to make sure you're all okay right that's codependency mm. totally different than lonely right lonely is simply our body's biomechanical recognition that you are disconnected from other people mm. I have had seasons of profound loneliness. I've been married. We'll celebrate our 20th anniversary this year. Um, wonderful, wonderful woman. I've had seasons of profound loneliness sharing a bed with somebody that I know loves me, right? Mm -hmm. I've found myself in a crowded room completely and totally alone or sitting mm -hmm. at a table where everyone's laughing and there's that, it's almost that pullback, right? It's that I'm here on a planet all by myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think loneliness can be spiritual it can be physical it can be all those things but it's when our bodies recognize you are out on an island my friend you are all alone yeah well and there's nothing wrong with loneliness i mean I, you know the, the question kind of posits like well how do i know if i'm lonely uh meaning that like you know how do i know that i'm uh you know doing the right thing or or, or you know conversely i'm doing the wrong thing i would say loneliness is being able to sit with loneliness is uh it's a superpower in a way yeah it's like being able to sit with boredom um i remember when we moved to Missoula, Montana, um, Josh, you know, he would go see movies by himself. He'd go eat by himself. And I'm like, what a freaking psychopath. Like, what does he do? You're going to see <laughs> he's a movie? murdering children. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, man, he's a, yeah, he's a very high functioning sociopath. And then I, I actually started to envy the fact that um, he could be by himself and enjoy this time just watching a movie or going out to eat. So I, I went out of my way to be lonely. Mm. And um, it turns out I really like myself. <laughs> I'm a pretty cool guy. I'm the coolest guy. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. You know, Kapil Gupta says all conflict is self-conflict. Uh -huh. yeah. And it's fascinating because we all have different personalities and those personalities often dictate our needs. You know, you, if you look like a Myers-Briggs, Ryan and I are literally exact opposites mm -hmm. and I'm an ISTJ. Ryan is an ENFP, so literally yeah, exact it? opposite. <laughs> That's right. And he's the most extroverted person I know. Mm -hmm. I'm the most introverted person I know. Mm -hmm. I married with a kid. I probably spend 90% of my time alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And Part of that for me was setting an expectation with the people around me because before, what did I try to do? I tried to conform to the way other people behave. Oh, Ryan mm. is so outgoing. I should be like him. <laughs> do you have any idea how many strip clubs I brought Josh to against <laughs> his will? <laughs> and so what, what I recognized is that my desires are going to be different from Ryan's. It doesn't make me wrong. In fact... The only wrong thing here is if I try to conform to his way of living, 
I actually felt more lonely in those scenarios than if I were to retreat into a place by myself where I can be alone and comfortable with being alone and not feel lonely at all. So there is a difference between individuality and isolation. We talked about that a bit on the Maximal episode this week, but there's also a difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm. The, the underneath everything y'all both mentioned is this one word that just pulses through our ethos. It's it it doesn't pulse through the ethos. It's gone and it needs to come back. And that's intentionality. Mm. If I am intentional about my body's need for solitude, if I know my surroundings enough to know I have such deep relationships with my child, with my spouse, with my girlfriend, with whatever, that I'm anchored in so that I can go into a season of solitude by myself or 90% of my time. I would say being a well person, you've got to be anchored into a community, a group so that I can go be well over here and vice versa here. So I think to me, it's, it's about intentionality. Mm-hmm. And again, I could be in proximity to somebody that I care deeply about, but I hadn't done the work outside of that particular moment to remain connected here. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself lonely, right? Mm-hmm. I think solitude is a practice we've lost, yeah. is being okay with yourself. That's when the noise stops and we're not okay and we race to fill it with the noise. Um, I have found I can only have seasons of good solitude when my relationships are okay. Yeah. Otherwise, it becomes a drug. It becomes pathological. I start hiding. Mm. Uh, so the difference between solitude and hiding is one is protective one is restorative oh okay we got a question here from katie on facebook how do you make friends as an adult oh it's the worst tinder (laughs) it's the worst (laughs) there's no swipe right for like 40 year old dudes who are like "Uh, hey man like it doesn't it's the worst it's the worst it's the worst um so when we're kids we just get dropped into a classroom Mm. and it's like y'all are all about the same smartish or something and Mm -hmm. You're the same age. Figure it out. Yeah. Yes. Y'all sit at the kickball. Y'all, we're all playing. Right. And either you found community like kickball stupid for idiots or I'm going to win the game, right? Whatever. Yeah. You you found community because you just got dropped in a box. And then in middle school, same thing. And then high school, it starts to branch out. I'm old enough now that it used to be like, are you a kicker? Are you like in the hip hop? Are you like a metalhead? Are you, are you in music? Are you mm-hmm. in sports? Whatever. You had to like identify your gang. What's your tribe? What's the tribe? Mm-hmm. And then you get dumped out into the world after college. And then it says, not only are you on your own, but they're all against you. Ready, go. Mm. And you're 21 and you're like, "Uh, okay, man. And you show up to the office and that dude's 54 and she's 48. And it's like, it's kill or be killed, my brothers. You know what I mean? And then it's on and our bodies go, ah, because we're not designed to do life like that. right? And so- I have found the only way, and this is the worst, man. I wish there was some cool, sexy, like sleek way to package this. Mm -hmm. There's not. Mm. It's the old Esther Perel wisdom. Every relationship is a risk and you are worth the risk. And so at 40, I have to recognize I will die a slow, miserable death of despair if I don't have other people that I'm doing life with, mm-hmm. either 90% of the time or 10% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to take that risk. Yeah. I got to take that risk. I got to step into it. I got to be hospitable. I got to invite people over to my house. I got to say, this is just, I'm not gonna even going to clean up. Y'all come over. Mm. And if they want to opt out of my messy house, that's on them. And that's a whole other conversation. But but I have to take that risk. Oh, yeah. Period. Full stop. Yeah. This is making me think uh, there needs to be an app for people who are just looking for friends. Yes. Like, if this is like, you know, it's very clear. Like, this is not a dating site. <laughs> this is for people who need to find friends with similar interests. But then it makes me think about, uh, meetup, uh, I think it's meetup.com or maybe it's .org. But, you know, you can literally go to this website and look at different topics and be like, oh, I'm interested in heavy metal. And here's a whole group that's interested in heavy metal. Oh, and they meet locally, you know, every Thursday night or whatever. Um, I have no idea this app exists. Oh, it's for real? Yes, this is yeah. for real. Yeah. I'm looking in the camera. If don't screw this up, predators, let people go meet their people. That's so great. <laughs> yeah, there's always one idiot that screws up these right. app meetups. Don't be that guy. You know, I actually haven't. Um, I haven't heard of any. Now that you mentioned that, like, I'm surprised I haven't heard of any like really gonna, crazy I'm, things. I am going to try it. But like, no, my uh, my 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 wife was using it for coders. 
um, like basically there's this whole code coding community mm-hmm. community in Los Angeles that she would go and um, she would like get feedback on her code and like she would you know learn things from yeah. other people's code. Um, but yeah, I mean there are ways to to uh, make friends as an adult. But John, you're right, man. Like it is absolutely a risk, mm-hmm. and you have to be willing to take that risk. And you know what? You're probably gonna fail. Uh, not probably, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's okay to like put yourself out there. And, uh, and, and, and the, the relationship not go where you wanted it to go, the friendship to not go where you wanted it to go. And I think it's important to realize like when it doesn't go the way you want it, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. It just is. It doesn't make that person bad or, or you bad. It's just, it wasn't a friendship match. That's okay. We've turned every relationship into like into the Super Bowl, right? Like Mm. if like, this is it. And if we screw this one up, it's it's over for you, dude. You'll right. never come. Mm. So dumb, man. <laughs> LeBron James tonight will take, I don't even know, Lakers may be out. So I was trying to do a local reference. But let's pretend they were still in. They were uh-huh. still playing, right? And he would take two or three hundred shots before the game started because he's practicing. Yeah. He's practicing. Mm-hmm. So that he can take shots during the game that count. And he's going to miss most of those. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he's still going to Hall of Fame. Dude. Go hang out with a group of coders, man. Yeah. My wife has a writing group and they give each other feedback on their stuff and they have shared experiences. They earn each other's trust over time. They all know, dude, when Ryan gives feedback, we all know Ryan's kind of crazy. Like, right? <laughs> it's just kind of the gang, but he also brings the good beers. And so he's welcome, right? So right. you develop your ethos and then, man, there's going to be the times it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And you got to say, all right, I'm practicing. I'm going to try again next time. Yeah. And I'm going to go about it again. And I'm going to go about it again. I'm going to go about it again. Cannot do life alone. And the best way to foster a, a friendship, I feel like, is don't look for what you can get from that relationship. Look what you can give yes. to that relationship. Show up. Yeah. 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 And it becomes less risky in those scenarios as well. So we recognize that there is a risk, but it's not the same risk that we associate with camping in the woods for a month straight. You know, it's like, oh, I might get eaten by some sort die. of bear, yes. right? But we, we associate that same anxiety, that same stress level mm-hmm. with meeting a new person, right? And so that that risk is about the same as wearing two different shoes yeah. on, you know, I'm wearing an orange shoe here and a black shoe mm-hmm. on this foot. And there's no real risk in that other than the, the judgment of others. Mm-hmm. But for many of us, that is the most terrifying thing. Why is that the most terrifying thing? Because we are the main character in our story. We think we are, you know, whomever. The mm. we think we're the Steve McQueen in our story. But <laughs> but really, like we're all just extras, sort of hanging out yes. in the background. No one really cares that, at the, to the level that. that we think they care. Even for someone like me and Ryan, who are relatively well known and people recognize us in public. It most they'll recognize it, but then they go on to drinking their smoothie or whatever it yeah, is, yeah. and they don't actually care to the level that we think people are obsessing over us because we obsess over ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to understand why we do that. Our worldview is our worldview. Mm-hmm. I see everything like I'm looking into my camera, right? I'm talking mm-hmm. into my microphone. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at my computer, talking to my wife or my daughter, mm-hmm. right? And it's everything through my own worldview. I will say one one way we do get caught up and I think it makes it more difficult. We accidentally make finding friends more difficult as an adult. We look for someone who is like-minded, mm. right? It, it means they have the same beliefs. Mm. They have the same uh, uh, worldview. They have the same preferences, same hobbies, same personality. Well, you are creating these sort of prison walls, and it's going to be a very small cell that you're stuck in. Mm-hmm. So instead of finding someone who is like-minded, I seek out people who are open-minded. Mm-hmm. We might have different beliefs. We might have different religious traditions, wisdom traditions. I found one of the, the best ways. Ryan and I were in, in on tour in 20. 20- 14. We went to 100 cities and people were coming up to us afterward. It's great that you guys were here for two hours. Now you're leaving. (laughs) How am I supposed to connect with other open-minded people like this? Mm -hmm. And we didn't have an answer until 2014. We left behind 100 free local meetup groups, 100 cities, eight different countries. So if you're interested in connecting with open-minded people and Katie, I don't know if you're in one of these cities. It's 100 cities across the world. Minimalist.org. You can Mm -hmm. go on there. It's like meetup.com, but for people who are interested in simple it could be simplifying your stuff, but your career, a whole bunch of different other areas in your life, mm-hmm. being more intentional, connecting with other intentional people. Minimalist.org is a great place to do that. If there's not a city near you, there's an online city as well. Mm-hmm. So you can connect with people there and they tend to meet 
on not only online, but then folks in those cities meet once a month and then share I stories. It mm. provides support for other people around you. That's a great way to meet new friends. I love that. Yeah. We have a question here from Christopher on Instagram. Where is the best place to find a long-term partner or spouse? Well, you said Tinder earlier, so you can't use that answer again. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I did meet Mariah on OkCupid, um, which is funny because if you were to tell my like, you know, 20-year-old self, you're going to meet the love of your life online, I would have been like... I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> or I would have been like, how did things go so south? That's right. Like, what happened, what happened to, me? to me where I had to resort to meeting someone online? <laughs> what did I do wrong? Yeah, right. But now it's a, a place where a lot of people go, and there are good reasons for that. The algorithms matched you up, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be limited to that either. My wife and I met in a grocery store, mm-hmm. and and so you can meet at a grocery store, you can meet at uh, OkCupid or yeah. Match.com or wherever. John, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this because I think this is an- another thing that we do. We quite often go seeking the other person. I need my other half. I mm. need someone to complete me. It's a story that we oh, tell man. ourselves. Your new book, by the way, mm. Own Your Past, Change Your Future, is the book that's really about the stories we tell ourselves. Mm. They're the problem. We're creating all these problems in our lives with these stories, but also new empowering stories are the solution. And so I found for me, one empowering story has much more to do with I don't need someone else to complete me. I am already complete. Mm. And regardless of what your you know, faith tradition is, some people say, well, yeah, you're complete. But with Jesus, sure. e- even then, yeah. it's like, I, I understand what you're saying, but still my spouse doesn't complete me, <laughs> right, even right. in that scenario. But that I found love when I stopped obsessively seeking it out. Yes. Mm. So let's back out from 1920 to world history all until the dawn of time. Yes. Marriages were served two primary functions, either to expand somebody else's political or financial gain, right? Mm. My dad was friends with Ryan's dad. And so he, um, we, we, we were matched with spouses so that we could expand territory. Okay. Mm. Yes. Or we looked at a spouse and said, uh, a human, another human and said, Life's pretty much miserable and short, and we're going to die. You, you want to just do miserable and short and death with me? And we would have a bunch of kids and try to make- So romantic. Try to have food. And here's the thing. After 10, 15, 25, 30, and then into the 1900s, 50, 60 years together, right. we became soulmates. We breathed the same air. We thought the same thoughts. We ate the same meals because we did them together. We, mm. we raised the same chickens. And then all of a sudden, and again, I'm I'm- compressing time here jerry Maguire comes out and tom cruise looks across the room and says you complete me and that's not the moment but it's just fun to point at that suddenly we decided to reverse engineer the soulmate Hmm. i'm gonna find the right person and then we're gonna backfill it my my uh my grandparents celebrated 72 years of marriage before they died and when my granddad died my grandmother basically said i'm out because part of me is gone Mm-hmm. When you're 22 and you're looking around like, where's my other half? Where's my other half? That's not how that works, right? right? And so I find yeah. you to f- make me feel good and feelings as a prop, as a proxy for love have about a week and a half of, of jet fuel in them and that sucker's gone. Yeah. Then I have to decide every miserable day, you're the person I'm going to choose to love today. And that is not, that was not in Titanic. That wasn't in any Tom Cruise movie (laughs) that like, how do you stay married for? I just wake up and decide I'm going to love you and I'm going to put my needs behind yours. And hopefully you'll put your needs behind um, your need, my needs behind yours. And we're going to do this on a loop for the rest of our lives. Right. It's, it's stopping trying to reverse engineer that process. So people say like, Hey, how do I find love? I tell them choose, choose love. And I know it's not sexy and it's not cool and it's not like hip, but just choose love and make that choice every day for the rest of your life. Mm, but, but that's not, you know, that's not uh, rom-com style love. That's, no, that's it's not, miserable. It's yeah. not nearly as exciting as, <laughs> no. yeah, as some rom-com. No, man. I, yeah, I, I love that. Cause like I, I do that with Mariah, like every morning I wake up. She's and unlovable and you choose to love her every morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, it's really I'm unlovable. I'm unlo- wonderful. I'm unlovable, and she chooses to love me, which inspires me to yeah. be a better person. But yeah, no, like waking up and choosing to be there is um, that's so much more powerful than like living off of that ephemeral, uh, you know, um, infatuation, whatever that high is when you mm-hmm. first meet someone. And it's 
it's yeah, it's interesting because you can get that 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 infatuation feeling with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. but it's the long haul stuff. Like that's really where a good relationship matches up is when you you can look at that person and be like, oh, I can I could wake up next to this person every morning, whether I have this infatuating feeling or not. Love, like, and lust. These are three mm-hmm. components of any intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. Too often we we get that chemistry up front, the lust, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this must be love at first sight. Mm-hmm. It must be you know, storybook, rom-com, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we get confused and say this lust, which is a key component. Yeah. In fact, it's one of the reasons that marriages break up long-term is they've lost that chemistry, mm-hmm. right? And so when people lose that chemistry, quite often they stray, they seek novelty through mm-hmm. other relationships, right? And, and so... Maintaining that is still important. The love part is actually, in in many ways, the easiest and the hardest. Mm. To love someone is to see them for who who they are without trying to change them, without Mm. trying to force change onto someone, right? And so I'm going to drag you to my singularly correct worldview, (laughs) and that means I'm right, and if I can drag you over to my rightness, then you will be right with me. Mm. And and, well, no, that's not love. That's Mm. the opposite of love. That's conditional love. There's no such thing as conditional love. Love doesn't have conditions. Like often has conditions, Mm -hmm. and that's the third component. And this is, I think, the most difficult in any relationship is finding someone with whom we are are compatible, someone you like. And it may be that you can love every part of someone without liking every action or behavior in their life. And being able to accept those behaviors is what love is all about. Oh, there's oftentimes my wife doesn't like me. She loves me. (laughs) Man, as she tells me, you can be a lot. Right. And so I don't like all the stuff. I think that's I think that's super wise. I've been compelled by, again, to go back to Perel's work. She talks about when you are infatuated with somebody, when you are lusting over somebody, you're in love with them. In that season, you practice safety. Are they going to show up when I call? Mm -hmm. We agreed that we're going to have a date at this time on this on this particular day. Will they be there? Mm -hmm. We practice safety. Does this person open the door for me? Does this person are they respectful to the other people around? And once your body achieves safety, it stops pumping oxytocin and other drugs through you. Right. So lust, you're high. You're Mm -hmm. high. right? Right. When the high wears off, what we don't have in our society is a way to practice um, intimacy. To Mm -hmm. practice desire. We have a lot of how do you practice safety? We don't have practice desire. And love and intimacy and desire does not, is not compatible with safety. Mm. So when I've established safety in my relationship, then I have to be about a way more fun practice for the rest of my life is practicing desire. How do I lean in and continue to practice I get to practice lust. I get to practice desire because I know she's going to be there. She said she was going to be there. Now I get to practice the fun stuff, right? And we have no cultural ethos for that. What we say is if that wears off, then that y'all weren't meant to be. The relationships run its course. This thing's over. You need to move on. That person has served their utility in your world, and it's time to go to an, uh, the next one. And now, no, man, you get to practice desire mm-hmm. in all the reckless, crazy, risky ways that is. What a fun way to live life, right? Mm. Yeah, well— well, the opposite of that would be to to accept the fact that there you've lost the desire and then you sort of become complacent in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I find that uh, my wife and I, we, we she has a podcast called How to Love and I co-host it with her. And we talk about these these conversations and what we often talk about is like creating that novelty within the relationship, creating the distance, which brings you back together. That's right. right? And and because if you don't do that, then, then you will lose that important component, that chemistry component. It's not the most important thing. It's like Mm -hmm. if you have a, a table that has three legs, Mm -hmm. love, like, and lust, Mm -hmm. you knock one leg out the whole table, the whole relationship falls over. Let's move on to some callers here. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We have a question here from Justin in Illinois. Right now, I just want to get some tips on basically putting my life on hold, whether or not to move. Basically, I have a daughter and I want to be in her life. At the same time, I have a job that is 
really crippling me and has a lot of negativity involved. It's not adding any value to my life. And the time with my daughter is limited. So if you can give any tips on putting what you value and kind of chasing after that as opposed to holding on to a job which contains your, you know, I have my health insurance, my life insurance, uh, car insurance, all that stuff through them. Um, how long do you, do you really want to put that stuff on hold? So, John, you talk about this quite a bit on your show, which mm-hmm. folks can check out on YouTube, by the way. People mm-hmm. call in all the time, and mm-hmm. some of the craziest calls is mm-hmm. like, my wife has cheated on me three times today, and also uh, my boss fired me this morning. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you you deal with some of these complex problems, but like what Justin is saying here, you're, your book really covers this because you, you talk about the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And right now, one of the stories is he's given himself the either or story. Mm. And so maybe you, what, what would you say to Justin? Anytime you've backed yourself into an either or corner, you need to go talk to somebody. Because you have yeah, you've limited your options moving forward, and very, very rarely do we only have two options moving forward. Very, very rarely. Um, I would love for was his name Justin. Yeah, I'd love for Justin to go back and listen to the call because he answers it himself. Mm. He is drowning himself with car insurance and health insurance and a four hundred one match. Mm-hmm. He knows that he's dying. Yet he lives in a culture where the story used to be our religious institutions told us what to wear, what to believe, how to function, who's, who, who got to own property, who didn't, all the stuff. And we pulled the thread on that one. And then we moved to you completely to our spouses. We dumped everything on them. And that one lasted about 25 years. And we've looked around. We burned our spouses to the ground, right? Yeah. And our last great bastion of human connection is work. And so now we've taken our identities and our self-worth and everything about us we've dumped it into the workplace and said, y'all solve us. And so he has a little girl who is saying to herself every day, what is it about that place that is more lovable than me? Mm. And he is asking himself, why am I doing this? Mm. And he can't unhook himself from that last great vacuum, right? It's like, it reminds me of Spaceballs with Mega Maid. She's just like sucking that dude <laughs> in, right? Like he asks, when should I? Right now. right now and if you have to sell your house and move to a one-bedroom apartment to reconnect with your daughter and work down the street for $14 an hour right now and you will find peace and freedom and a clarity to then say what do I do next but dude right now you know what I mean you don't have time to wait on those kind of calls Mm, yeah yeah it's I don't know it makes me think of when I first started the whole minimalism journey Uh, we started the blog I was still working at my corporate job for about a year. And then I got laid off. And, you know, luckily I had been preparing myself to leave that job eventually. And the amount of clarity that I was able to gain after I got laid off, just kind of seeing a path forward and looking at different options, I never would have seen those different options if I, if I didn't get laid off. Yeah. And thank God they laid me off because I kept telling myself, oh, I'll quit next month. No, I'll put on my two weeks notice uh, next month. Yeah. And I kept putting it off um, and it was kind of forced upon me. But you know, really what Justin's looking for here is security. Mm-hmm. He's looking for some certainty and we all need some security and certainty. And he's finding it right now in health insurance and car insurance and the 401k match. But you know, Justin, I would... Uh, I would challenge you to look at what what are your bare necessities to really feel secure, because a four hundred one k match it's a great thing, awesome, it's it's amazing, um, but you don't need that to to feel secure. Yeah, there's there's some there's a very interesting phrase that he used in the call when he's considering putting his life on hold, mm. and what I would say is you've already done that. And so why not consider taking your life off hold? Yeah, push play on your life. It's time to press play. It may not look Mm -hmm. like what society has dictated with Mm -hmm. the 401k match and the so-called perfect job, because guess what? That perfect job is making you miserable. So how Mm -hmm. perfect could it be in the first place? Justin, I'd love to send you a copy of an event that we did. So 
John, Ryan, and I, we were in Houston during the Love People Use Things Tour a few months ago, and we released this live event to all of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash The Minimalist. If you're a true fan or VIP over there, you have access to all 20 of those Love People Use Things events, including the Houston event. So Justin, I think you'll find a lot of value because we dove deep into a lot of questions very similar to this during that live event in Houston. Anyone else who's interested, you can find all of our previous live events and our upcoming live events at theminimalists.com slash tour. But Justin, we'll send you a video version of that Houston event with jo- with Dr. John Deloney. Thank you. Ryan, what time is it? It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions, your comments, your smart remarks to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Now, those texts go to both of our phones. We actually respond to some folks (laughs) personally. And... um, I'll tell you this, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I and our guests, we try to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We call them minimal maxims. We put them in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. (laughs) And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, minimalmaxims.com. But John, don't worry. We just maunder on a bit. I was going to say, man, my wife would love me to have this skill. Can you just (laughs) say it in one sentence, please? I don't know what you're talking about. This would be great. Well, we've got your text messages here. We've got one from Stacy. What does Stacy have for us? How do we transition from an overabundance of acquaintances into fewer, more meaningful relationships? John, let's talk about this because this question presupposes that what we should do Mm -hmm. is have fewer relationships. Mm -hmm. And as we've already alluded to in like Ryan's and my relationship, I have fewer close relationships than Ryan has. And that's what's appropriate for me. And if we were to flip flop the amount of relationships, it would be off for both of us. So here's here's my pithy answer, and maybe we can expand on it together. Less isn't always better, but too much is too much every time. And so mm. what is too much for you is going to be different for what is too much for me. Just having six close relationships might be too much for me. Having 60 might not be enough for Ryan. <laughs> and, and so understanding what your enough point is, is really where you'll, where you'll find contentment with those relationships. Mm-hmm. However, where Stacy's sitting right now, she says she has an overabundance of acquaintances mm. and, she's look, and she doesn't find those to be meaningful. Why might that be? I think she's I think she's leaning too heavily into the shoulds. Yeah. Leaning too heavily into the what I'm supposed to be doings. Somebody somewhere told her, Why do you have so many friends? You only need three or four. Yeah. And that voice haunts her. Or she grew up in a home where mom only had one friend that she just called and gossiped with every day. Or dad had no friends. He just watched TV until he passed out on the couch and repeat and repeat and repeat. So she has this picture of what friendship's supposed to look like, especially as an adult. And it is running up against the narrative of the world, of, of her actual true experience that she's created a, a, a life full of human beings that interact with her all the time. Mm. And I always want people to challenge the moment that word comes out of your mouth. I should be, stop. Mm-hmm. Why? Where does that story come from? Mm-hmm. Is your body telling you that or is Brian telling you that mm-hmm. and pull that thread and often shoulds are right they're right I should brush my teeth mm-hmm. as communicated by my loved ones and friends right <laughs> and my dentist I should exercise every morning because I feel better and fill in the blank mm-hmm. every should should be should be traveled and even understanding yeah. those shoulds are still constructs right because of they are the, the people who have the nicest teeth I've ever seen are the Maasai and they've never even met a toothbrush <laughs> right, right? right. And, and so we have to also understand that like even that should that is appropriate in my culture or from the should that is appropriate for me right now isn't a universal there's should. levels and layers that's right mm. that's yeah. right that's right yeah so we should question our shoulds <laughs> yes oh I like that but the, the true question is I have I mean the true answer is in this particular case, I have a group of people that when something goes down, I instantly call, right? Mm-hmm. So when uh, I used to coach high school track and whenever we we're trying to establish a lead leg, like how to get into the blocks or someone's going to do high jump or long jump and you're trying to help some, a, a young kid figure out his leg, all you do is walk behind him and just push him. And if you just push him, they'll put a, a leg out to, st- to stop themselves from falling. That's their lead leg. And mm-hmm. so imagine, do a thought experiment all of a sudden, I've got to call a friend to come 
pick up my dog because I got to go be with my mom. Who do I call? Mm, yeah. That's your person. The, I'm going to call these two of these three people. I'm going to call her. I can't call her. She'd never. That's not your person. Then, mm. right? So put yourself in that position where you have to lean forward just a little bit and ask yourself, who would you call? And let's set up a recurring book club with them or a recurring, a recurring gratitude club with them or a dinner group or whatever. And let's lean into those relationships. Oh, I like the gratitude club thing. And That's how do I serve those relationships as well? That's right. Yeah. Not transactionally. And I'm, I'll give to this so I can get something from it later. This nope. is not an investment yeah. account. That's right. But also, like, if they're showing up for me, why aren't I showing up for them mm -hmm. in whatever capacity I can? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that's going to be different. Just because that other person can't show up for you, that, that's not moralize it either. Mm -hmm. It's just that, like you said, that's not your person. That's not a good or a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But understanding that helps us understand how to navigate those relationships. Right. Yeah. Oh, my pithy answer is this. Uh, it's hard to be a friend when you are your own worst enemy. So regardless of how many people... Uh, this person, uh, Stacy, regardless of how many people Stacy's hanging out with, if she doesn't have a good relationship with herself, mm -hmm. she's not going to be able to be a good friend to the people mm -hmm. around her. So uh, I don't know. That's that's the first question I would ask myself is like, how do I feel about um, about myself? How do I feel like what I can give to the world rather than uh, what does Milburn think I should do? What's the appropriate amount of friends? And mm -hmm. yeah, it, it reminded me of a Gandhi story. He said, I have only three enemies in this whole world. The first one is the entire British Empire <laughs> because, because I can deal with them fairly easy because they're so far away. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's not a big deal. So my second enemy are all of my Indian friends and family, mm. my Indian countrymen. They're a little bit harder to deal with because they're right here and I have to face them. My third en enemy, his name is Mahatma K. Gandhi. Mm. And I seem to have no control over him whatsoever. Mm. <laughs> and that is exactly what Ryan is describing here with you. It's hard to be a friend or best friend towards someone else when you're constantly your own worst enemy. Well, how, how do you be better friends with someone else? By stop being that enemy mm. with mm. yourself. Mm. So my pithy answer would be along your don't outsource your life. I have a friend who's got Ooh, a yeah. water bottle that reminds her when to drink. Like we've outsourced thirst. We've outsourced our yeah. step counting. We've outsourced everything. Even as Stacy has, uh, how many friends should I have? We've outsourced connection. Yeah. We've outsourced the, 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 the level of connection to some guys on a podcast. Right. Yeah, yeah. What is your body telling you when it comes to being around other people? Right. right. Don't outsource your life. Amen. Because if you try to live a life that is identical to mine, how many friends does he have? Because that's how many I should have. Yes. Or that might make you miserable. Or oh, uh, that didn't work. So how many friends does Ryan have? Yeah. Now how many friends does John have? Mm -hmm. And then I'll approximate that. And then it's finding approximate levels of misery, really. <laughs> right, right. Uh, real quick, we've got a segment here called Right Here, Right Now. We talk about one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. And since John is here, John works for this guy named Dave Ramsey, Ramsey Solutions. And uh, we've partnered up with them. And uh, this month and last month, well, here's what we're trying to do. Ryan and I come from a poor city. It's called Dayton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, people call in to your show and to the Ramsey show all the time and I hear these stories of people. I'm 29 years old with a million dollars worth of debt. I'm 43 years old with $733,000 worth of debt. I'm 68 years old. I'm still paying off my student loans. Yeah. And I want to be like, hey, how, how can I go into the past and help these people? <laughs> well, we haven't found a time machine yet, but the closest thing I have is maybe we can go into the past from the future, <laughs> which is right now. And we can help some people in Dayton, Ohio. So Ryan and I have set out. We said, we're going to provide financial teaching. We're going to teach the, the foundations of personal finance, which is a, a school curriculum mm -hmm. in every middle school, to every middle schooler, and every high school, to every high schooler in Dayton, Ohio. So every middle schooler, what? every high schooler in Dayton, Ohio, yeah, we are going to provide financial literacy training so they're not burdened by debt for the rest of their lives. Mm. I really wish I would have had this training when we went to school in Ohio back in the 1900s. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I've never felt so old. You know, the only training I ever got was 
in a specific, it was like a, a extracurricular class. I don't know, home ec or, you know, something like that. And they sat down. It was my senior year. They sat you down and they were like, okay, we're going to help you budget. We're going to help you see how much you need to actually live. And it was a great exercise because, you know, it turned out I needed way less than what I thought I needed to like mm-hmm. actually make rent and, you know, pay for insurance and, and stuff. But I remember uh, a, a piece of this puzzle was, okay, so a, a car, a car payment's going to, it averages this, you know, a house payment averages that. Mm. And it wasn't even about, Hey, stay out of debt. It was just like, well, I'll help you factor in your loan payments. That's right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with getting a loan, mm-hmm. but man, it would be such an, it would have been such an amazing thing if they approached it in a way of like, Hey, let's talk about first, how you can do this without getting a loan. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, I don't want to make anyone feel bad for having a mortgage or a car payment. That's not the <laughs> point of this. Um, but certainly whoever has that mortgage payment or that car payment, if I can wave a magic wand and make it go away, they would be very grateful for that. I'm sure right. it, it's the idea of, of we outsource our life, right? Mm-hmm. We just ask other people, what's the, what's the right next step? And it's like, well, you got your first big job. So you got to go get your first big car. Mm-hmm. And that just comes with a payment. That's just part of it. Mm-hmm. And before you got your first big job, you just had to go to the fanciest possible college you could go to. And I've worked in universities for 20 years. That was my job before I, I I'm doing whatever this is now. And <laughs> I I, I got to go to the best college and then we figure out costs later. And there's yeah. somebody else that will just write a, a check for the tab until we get through and then we'll figure that out later. Mm. And then like you mentioned, the numbers you threw out are real numbers, but they can get cartoonish. Most people are carrying about seventy five, eighty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 of combined debt in their house. Yeah. And we don't have that. We don't but, have that. We're drowning. I didn't know y'all were doing this. I work in the building. This is incredible. <laughs> One, that's not, I, I keep my head in the sand most of the time, but this isn't, I'm going to put money in on y'all's thing. I'm really grateful. Here, 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 here's you. what I love. Here's what I love. It is the only way forward in my estimation after sitting with hurting people for so long is people have to circle up and start loving locally. Mm-hmm. Let's put the, let's put our differences. Let's, let's put that stuff in a box. Great. Here's a problem. And y'all have said, I'm going to go circle up in my hometown with a, to help a group of like of twelve to eighteen year olds mm-hmm. because nobody else is nobody right. else is and I'll partner with you and I'll partner with you and I'll partner with you we're gonna figure this out the goal is to help those kids because at some point this bill comes due right mm-hmm. and what are we thirty trillion so I mean some point the b- bill comes due mm-hmm. and man that like, that's a love that's like a it's a it's a level of putting your money where your mouth is I don't see very often so I'm 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 encouraged to. I've never even been to Dayton, Ohio, but I'm in, man. I'm in. I love, awesome. I love it. Thank awesome. you. Well, so Ryan and I, we contributed personally. We are helping mm-hmm. the first 100 students mm-hmm. uh, awesome. with, with our own money. If folks want to contribute, it's just theminimalists.com slash education. $25 provides curriculum mm-hmm. for one middle school student, $45 for a high school student. Mm-hmm. If you can give more than that, great. Or if you can only mm-hmm. give $5, mm-hmm. please do. You're contributing to help kids not borrow from their mm-hmm. future. They're going to avoid debt. Ryan and I have done... 10 philanthropic projects over the last dozen years. We've built orphanages. We've funded high schools. We built an elementary school. We built a nonprofit grocery in uh, uh, the biggest food desert in the country in, in Dayton. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that I've been most excited about mm. because we're helping people not go into debt, not create, because the average indebted household in America $97,775 in non-mortgage debt. That's credit card debt, student loans, car payments, etc. right? $100,000 and you get there and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh my gosh, how did I how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I did everything I was supposed mm-hmm. to do, right?" Mm-hmm. By the way, we're also going to be uh, in Nashville, Franklin, Tennessee. If you're going to stop by and see us on May 9th, mm-hmm. We got Sarah and Megan here from mm-hmm. Ramsey Solutions mm-hmm. as well. We're going to be on the Ramsey show mm-hmm. back again. I think it's our fifth appearance. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to come by, they have a whole lobby where you can watch the show. It's it's really awesome. Some coffee cookies. I, it's important to note, I think it's one out of two. It's 40% of high schools and middle schools across the country have this educational curriculum. And I didn't know it existed. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to make it, uh, I think a, a state or two just recently passed every, you can't graduate high school without 
going through some sort of financial literacy oh, conversation. Wow. Be because wonderful. look, man, we got to help these kids. Yeah, because yeah. the adults aren't right. We have we the adults have not put a good example forward. No, right. And again, it's not about shame. It's about owning reality. Look in the mirror and say, if I could have done this differently, would I? Yes. Yeah. Let's be about doing that. Right. right. Yeah. It's awesome. Up until yeah. now. Many of us, Ryan and I included, have been part of the problem when we were in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Not that corporations are inherently evil. I mean, even nonprofits are corporations, right? <laughs> and so well, we're not saying that corporations are evil, but what you do when you manu- manufacture these false desires mm. for things that people don't need and you encourage them to go into debt to buy these things, mm. you're creating a bit of the anxiety, the stress, the discontent in our society. And at this point, we're trying to be part of the solution by preventing it going forward. If you want to contribute, we could really use your help. Uh, If we get past our initial goal, we'll be able to expand to other markets beyond Dayton, Ohio as well. So you can find all the details, all the good stuff, theminimalists.com slash education. You can donate right there. All the frequently asked questions are on that page as well. Alabama, what else you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I meant to leave this a long time ago because I feel like it was on one of the debt episodes, but it actually pertains also to the budget. Um, a friend of mine, I can't take total credit for this, but recommended that I check in with my cell phone bill. I had noticed it was really high for two cell phones. And I admit, even though I'm very organized, when the bill comes electronically, I don't always look at it. So I won't give the provider (laughs) name per se, but I did call. I asked to make my bill lower, which they did have something to offer. But then we combed through the bill on the phone and I had Apparently, uh, some kind of featured at $3.99 a month for international calling. I never call international calling. So that came off. I had some kind of ringtone charge that was happening I didn't know about. Anyway, long story short, I found all kinds of hidden charges that I did not know that were happening for years. I lowered my bill right then and there by $60. Um, I wanted to wait a few months to see if it actually stayed that way, <laughs> and it has. So it's been about six months. Um, so when we get bills electronically, we don't always look at them. So um, I just urge people to check in to especially a cell phone bill that has some of these charges we might not even know. Because $60 times 12 months of a year has been a huge savings for me um, as I try to get out of debt. Hi, this is Joe in Dallas, and I was burning through some old minimalist podcasts, and I heard you talking about the ketogenic diet and cured bacon, and I just wanted to throw out there that they do sell uncured bacon at a lot of places now, including Walmart, that have less than one gram of carbs. All right, y'all, before we get to our added value segment, one thing that I forgot to mention, we're going to be on the Ramsey Show. We'll be down at Ramsey Solutions on uh, just uh, like next week. It'll be on the 9th of May, uh, 2 p.m. on the, that's Monday the 9th. If you want to stop by, you can get a hug from us. They're free and transferable. You don't have to pay us anything for a hug. <laughs> Free and transferable. Where was that line when I was in middle school, man? That would have been fantastic. You can do that with your daughter. We talked about that for on the Maximal sure. episode. Yeah. I'm in. Yes. Yeah. Or what I always say to Ryan is let me steal some of those electrons. I love it. I love it. You're big into grounding. So you, you, yeah. you know about the electron thing. Yeah, and so crazy. I'm constantly going around. That's the main reason we hug people is just mm-hmm. to take their electrons. Yeah, we take I'm all in. their energy. <laughs> and then we use it to rule the world. It's a deep or our world. <laughs> Stop by the uh, the Ramsey Show. If you're anywhere near Tennessee, or if you just want to drive down, it's in Franklin, Tennessee. We'll be there 2 p.m. on Monday, May 9th. Before we get to our added value segment, I just want to say thanks real quick to Dr. John Deloney. His new book is called Own Your Past, Change Your Future. I'll hold this up if you're watching on YouTube. It's a book about the stories we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. how they're disempowering, and also how we can change those stories into something that it's more empowering, something that is actually going to solve the problem instead of creating more problems with those stories. Mm-hmm. Also, you can check out his show. It's called The Dr. John Deloney Show. You can find it on YouTube. We'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. Anywhere else we should send folks to see you? 
Um, you can follow me at John Deloney on the internet. I'm still figuring out how all that stuff works, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. I, I, I think I tell myself, right. And, um, and the YouTube show is also a podcast. You can get wherever you get podcasts. After you listen to The Minimalists, mm. roll <laughs> over and you can pick up my show too. Yeah, I think 90 plus percent of our audience is audio. So if you're listening to the audio version of this and you prefer audio, you can check out the uh, the podcast version wherever you... I have a face for, for, for podcasting, so it's, it's probably a good place <laughs> to out consume here. it, man. <laughs> for our added value segment this week, we talk about one thing that's added value to our lives recently. My favorite comedian, since we were talking about comedians on the Maximal episode, we were really talking about, John told this great story about, I won't go into the details, but like he dealt with some really traumatic situations. His job was to deal with some traumatic situations. The only way he could handle that was by injecting some comedy, some humor, some levity mm. into those situations. So my favorite comedian, he's named uh, Gerard Carmichael. And my favorite special of his came out a few years ago. I think in 2016, it was called Eight, like the number eight. And he just had this new special come out and it's called Rathaniel. I won't give away any spoilers here, but he deals with some serious trauma in his own life mm-hmm. the best way he can through jokes, through humor, not beating people up with the humor, but opening the door to healing some of that trauma that he's experienced for, you know, 35 years, however long he's been on this earth. And what you realize is that we all go through some of these things, some of these stories that we tell ourselves and the way that he got out of these disempowering stories was to be funny, Mm. was to approach it with candor and humor, add some lightness to it. Mm. Otherwise it becomes really difficult to carry. Mm. Yeah, so you can check that out. It's on HBO. It's called Rathaniel by Gerard Carmichael. By the way, we got a bunch more surprise questions this week, like what is the cure for crippling anxiety? What are the different types of anxiety and how can they contribute to unhealthy coping mechanisms? How do I break out of the cycle of transactional based relationships? Plus a million more questions for Dr. Deloney and The Minimalist. If you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Im- Immigrant, and uh, Podcast Peter. I don't know why I haven't been mentioning him in the notes here as well. <laughs> Shout out to all of them and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it